What up, guys? It's Manu Mateo. Welcome back to the channel. All the new subscribers, welcome. We are back to putting out critical key content every single day. And uh, yeah, our content's going to take off. I think we've got some interviews coming up in the mix. And uh, yeah, good things are happening. Good things are happening. Um, so Monero, it looks like it's sticking around 312 to 315 within that range. 315 looks like it's the resistance, but the entire crypto space has been down generally today. So, um, you know, if it breaks that level, it could be heading on down a little bit. But I anticipate it to hold that 315 line. Hopefully that's what happens. Bitcoin didn't reach past 50,000, which seems to be an upper level of resistance for it. And given it didn't hit that and exceed um, the entire crypto space kind of was drugged down with that. But I made a comment that said, if Monero breaks its upper level resistance and moves its way towards 500, but Bitcoin doesn't break 50,000, and you've got this situation where Monero is skyrocketing and Bitcoin is declining, that could be one of those variables which sends a lot of the variables that we've been talking about here on this channel into a kind of holistic synergy which makes an emergent phenomenon happen where maybe a lot of people start to move out of Bitcoin into Monero, especially because the atomic swaps are getting up and going. And so that could be the beginning of a bigger trend. But we'll see if that happens. Uh, today, I want us to talk about Sailor the Savior, Michael Sailor, the one and only, the holy, the well-endowed, the savior of all things crypto, according to a lot of people that we're going to look into today, especially one commenter, I think, Ka, I told you that I was going to be making a video response to what it is you said about Bitcoin on a video that we had about a week ago, and um, it, he just sounds like he listens to Michael Saylor, just given kind of like his phraseology and his lingo and the arguments that he makes, and so we're going to dig into Michael Saylor a little bit, um, well-meaningly. I mean, he seems like he's smart. He seems like... Um, a decent businessman, but uh, there are some things I'm concerned about. There are some things that he says, which to me don't make too much sense. And um, yeah, I mean, I'd call him Sailor the Savior just because to some degree, I think he's kind of like the Antichrist of crypto, if you want to know the truth. Um, he's not representing Bitcoin the way that I think Satoshi Nakamoto was looking to have Bitcoin be represented. I mean, Bitcoin is supposed to be a, a digital peer-to-peer -peer cash system. And here you have Michael Saylor wanting to have Bitcoin be digital gold, quote-unquote. He thinks it's just good that it sits there and takes on value and serves as sort of like an underpinning to the new financial system that the globalists are trying to set up. And instead, he wants the U.S. dollar to be the main medium of exchange for everybody in the world. He wants the U.S. dollar to continue to be the world reserve currency. And even furthermore, he wants it to expand to everybody on the continent, which we're going to get to later here. Uh, so we're going to dig into all that. A few housekeeping things first. Go ahead and check out my social media links on the description below. We've also got the donation addresses for Monero, Darrow, and Pirate Chain, if you feel so inclined, which you should have if you watch this channel, because you should be well-educated on why it is those cryptos are going to be awesome coming up here in probably the next few months, next few years. We don't really give price predictions or time horizons on a lot of stuff, but I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, it's going to be a big, big industry big, big part of the crypto sector. So I would get into that. Donation addresses are there if you want to, you know, be so nice to contribute. But uh, yeah, that's about it. I fixed my 
autofocus problems, so there shouldn't be any of that, which is awesome. It literally took like two seconds. I mean, that's just how technically proficient I am. But to get into today's content, I'm just going to make sure I'm still recording, which I am. Cool. Um, so, Ka, this is what Ka said on one of our videos. We're going to read it through. Um, I'll have you guys think about it for a sec. You can pause the video if you want to, and then we'll sort of go over what I think the issues with this are. So, Ka says, if you understand that Bitcoin is a pristine asset class that's perfectly deflationary, you would understand it makes no sense pursuing Bitcoin as a currency. The real innovation is access to a perfected asset that is digital and that will protect you from debasement. That is a compelling use case. We do not need a currency substitute. We already do that very well. Currencies will always be issued by governments, and when you have a perfected decentralized digital asset to store your monetary energy, the toxic fiat is no longer a problem. Use dollar to spend and use Bitcoin to save. Simple. So I'll have you guys pause the video and sort of uh, collect your thoughts onto that. But just let's look at this and not, let's not apply any outer philosophy to this. Let's just look at what is said here. So there's a lot of advertising going on. First, he says that it is a pristine asset class. Okay, so it's very nice, very beautiful. Then it's he says it's perfectly deflationary. And he uses the word perfectly, I think, three times in this script here. So it's perfectly deflationary. It's a perfected asset. Uh, it is a perfected decentralized digital asset, right? So there's a lot of advertising going on. If you can make the case, you can make a strong case. You don't need to use the advertising, right? So that's number one. And Kyle, just mind you, this is all well-meaning, brother. Uh, we may dig into you a little bit, but we'd love for you to be part of our community. Monero is awesome. And I'm not just going to tell you it's awesome. I'm going to back it up with all the videos that I've made. So he says it makes no sense to pursue Bitcoin as a currency. So that's sort of Michael Saylor's position. It should be a store of value. Uh we do not need a currency substitute, as he says right here. We already do that very well. So I'm not sure what he means by we. We already do that very well because if he's talking about the U.S. dollar, he says down here the dollar is toxic, right? So I'm not sure what that means. He says currencies will always be issued by governments. Uh, that's not what Satoshi Nakamoto really thought. He thought, again, Bitcoin is going to be a digital peer-to-peer -peer cash system. Uh, and he says that when you have a perfected decentralized digital asset to store your monetary energy, uh, toxic fiat is no longer a problem. Yeah, that's not really the case. That's not really the case because if you still need to use fiat as the medium of exchange, well, then you're going to have to liquidate some of your Bitcoin to get that fiat in which to spend, especially if it's continuing to be the legal tender. And that transition that you're going to have to have from Bitcoin to fiat is going to be costly because the transaction costs for Bitcoin are quite a lot. And you can't really transition into fiat on the Lightning Network, which we're going to talk about later this week. I'm putting out a report on my Patreon for the patrons, and then I'll put it out maybe a few weeks after that. But uh, patrons will get first access to my thoughts on the Lightning Network. We've got some good stuff there. But uh, you're still going to need to make that exchange. And with transaction costs being, you know, 5 to $10, maybe I think it's gone at some levels up to $50 per transaction in Bitcoin. Well, you know, that's, that's an added cost. 
right? And I'm not saying that you don't run into that with gold or other stores of value, but uh, that's something to consider, right? And so also consider this. Uh, it says it's perfectly deflationary. Perfectly deflationary. I'm not sure what perfectly deflationary means, but toxic fiat. If they come out with unrealized capital gains taxes, then it's not going to be a good store of value. And a lot of the store of value stuff really does depend on what the authorities do as far as taxes are concerned. Because if they decide that they want to tax your Bitcoin, well, that is going to be a significant overhead to holding Bitcoin. And that's why a lot of people, I've been hearing more and more murmurings about this. A lot of people are switching to using Monero as the quote-unquote digital gold, the digital store of value, because it's private. You can hold your Monero there. You don't have to worry about unrealized capital gains taxes. Um, or at least you don't have to worry about the authorities coming after you for not paying your unrealized capital gains tax for Monero. And I, I anticipate that's going to come. I'll put the video up in the top right for you, Kyle, to check out because that is a significant risk. It really is. I mean, if you've got your wealth on a public blockchain ledger and they come out with unrealized capital gains taxes or they come out with some other uh, tax with which to tax you, if you want to get out of the country, if you want to renounce your U.S. citizenship or your Australian citizenship and you want to get out of the country, they tax all of your wealth. They assume that you sell all of your assets and then they send you a tax bill. And they assume that because that's the last time that they're going to be able to tax you, well, they might as well get what they can out of you. And then you're going to have that on a public blockchain. They're going to be able to see that. All the forensic blockchain analytics companies, for which there are dozens upon dozens upon dozens, they know everything going on in the public blockchain. I think so at this extent in the game. But they're going to tax that. And so that is not a safe place to store your wealth, especially in an environment where private property rights are getting ever more restricted. Um, taxes are going up, and governments are becoming ever more in debt, which means that they have to fight, figure out new ways to get more wealth out of the public. And if cryptocurrency hodler, hodlers, however you want to put it, um, get into the bullseye target of the people in Congress who are becoming ever more socialistic by the day, uh, and they are able to turn an ever-growing destitute population against them because everybody knows people in crypto have been making a lot of money, well, then they're going to say, well, we need to go after those people in crypto. They need to share that wealth that they've had. It's not fair that they've made so much money just trading all of these digital coins on the internet. And so what they'll do is maybe they'll do the unrealized capital gains tax. Maybe they just do it for crypto, and then they suck that money out of your wallet. And if you want to get out of crypto before that happens... Well, they already have the system set up to where it's heavily surveilled. It's not going to be easy for you to get out of those coins without paying enormous, enormous taxes. Like the top rate for um, capital gains is, if Biden gets his way, going to be like 40 to 45 percent. You know, you have 39 percent income tax for the top rate if you make over a million dollars tacked on with a 3.8 percent net investment income tax. You're going to be paying half of your gains to the government, right? So that's going to be a real problem. So that's not good. Like if you have gold, if you just have gold, which I believe personally, and I think we'll make the case for that, that it's a better store of value than Bitcoin. Well, you just have that kind of sitting around your house. Nobody really knows that you have it. And so you won't really have to worry about uh, everybody knowing how much you owe. And look, 
again, another caveat, another disclaimer. I'm not saying you shouldn't pay your taxes. If they want tax from you, you got to pay it. I'm a tax accountant, by the way. I am an accountant. So if you need any services, payroll, tax, bookkeeping, let me know. But yeah, that is something that is a significant problem. So even though it's deflationary and the price is only going to go up and up and up, assuming that nobody panics and sells, which the whales could do, mind you, with the atomic swaps coming up, because the whales, they don't want to go to an exchange. Like Jeff Berwick, he was talking about how he knows somebody who has like, you know, I think $100 million in Bitcoin. He got him really early. And he's not trying to have any connection with these exchanges, these Know Your Customer AML exchanges. And so he wants to swap his Monero, or sorry, his Bitcoin for either Monero or Pyrochain without having to have his wallet be identified because he made his wallet early. I don't think anyone knows uh, or has surveilled who owns his particular wallet. And so he's looking to swap out of that so he can avoid paying like, what, $40, $50 million in taxes, right? And so a lot of whales may do that. A lot of whales may swap for Monero when the time comes, when the swaps are set up and it's easily accessible and there's a lot of security and a lot of insurance. Like, a lot of people will do it. So... With that coming up, again, there's more risk in this stuff being a store of value. Now, he had another comment that we'll get to. Let me let me know, guys, what you think about his comments here. But you can kind of see the Michael Saylor coming in here. He's like, use the dollar to spend and use Bitcoin to save. Now, I will concede to the Saylorsonian argument, right, that there's Gresham's Law. And Gresham's Law is... Bad money chases out good. People want to hold on to the good stuff. People want to spend the bad stuff. Sort of like in the Roman Empire, right? Where they started to debase the currency. And so you had silver, you had gold, and then you had this currency which looked like silver or gold, but it actually had like nickel and brass and some of these other cheaper base metals. And so people held on to the silver and gold. People held on to the real stuff because they knew that had more value than the base metals and people just spent the base metal stuff. So that's Gresham's Law. So I can kind of see where this is coming from. But it's another thing to go, you know, full sailor the savior and say that we want to expand the U.S. dollar. We want the dollar to be spent on Bitcoin rails. And we want everyone to be using the dollar. Like, that's a totally different thing to say. But that's sort of what he's saying here. Like, you know, we already do currencies very well. Cur currencies that are issued by the governments are typically fine. Like, no, <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, most currencies issued by the government end in hyperinflation, historically. Like, there have been like 400 previous instances of this where currencies die because of hyperinflation because the government just prints and prints and prints, pays off their buddies, and uh, the plebes on the bottom pay the inflation tax. They have their savings in that currency, and then it just gets withered away. And a lot of that inflation goes into the capital markets, it goes into real estate, goes into real assets, uh, maybe goes into Bitcoin and instances like this one, and then boom, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and then society implodes. So, no. The governments do not do this very well. We need a solution. And Bitcoin was supposed to be that solution. It wasn't supposed to be some pristine deflationary asset which just sat there. Yeah, it's supposed to be deflationary, but it wasn't supposed to just sit there. It's supposed to actually be used for transactions. And we'll get to this later. Let's just see something else that he said. This will extend to my next argument. And thank you guys for all these comments. These, co these comments are awesome. I love hearing from you guys. Um, so he doesn't really understand the fungibility elements of this, which a lot of people don't, which is understandable. So I explained this in my video, so I don't know if he watched the whole video, but he's like, why would I need my money to be private? Most people don't care. Well, 
Because if it's not private, then it's not real money. It's not really fungible. Okay? Because you have to understand that cryptocurrency, all it is, at least if it's wanting to be used for financial purposes, it's just an accounting ledger. Like that's all financial cryptos are. They're accounting ledgers. They're monetary systems that show who owes who what, what somebody owns as far as their assets and what they can exchange for goods and services. It's sort of like what it is that they owe society and what society owes them. That's the accounting ledger, right? And so when you have cryptos that are able to be tracked and traced and you can see, hold on, let me close my door. I got smoke going. So when cryptos can be tracked and traced and the history of these cryptos can be judged by a subjective entity that maybe doesn't like where those cryptos are coming from. Uh, and like people misinterpret, people think that this is only a problem with governments because governments can blacklist bitcoins. Um, governments can uh, uh, track these coins and say that, oh, this came from an illegal source where if we lived in like Ancapistan, everything would be legal and therefore, you know, bitcoins wouldn't be tainted or something like that. Like, no. People can judge coins differently. Like we looked at Kevin O'Leary last week, and he was talking about how he doesn't want to have Bitcoins in his portfolio that were mined from unsustainable sources. Like he only wants Bitcoins that were mined either freshly in a, an environmentally friendly way or, uh, or something like that. Like he cares about where the Bitcoins come from. And that's a big investor. And a lot of people have the same mindset. You know, you could run into some, you know, PETA group. And if a lot of trees were destroyed and animals' habitats were destroyed to set up like these factories where Bitcoins are being mined through these rigs, right? That could make these people be like, okay, I want to work with a blockchain forensics investigator firm to tell us if we ever come into contact with cryptos that were mined from this location. And they can do that. And therefore, back to this accounting ledger analogy, right? Or not analogy, that's what crypto is. So if you've got Sally who's got two Bitcoins, and then you've got Sam who's got four Bitcoins. Okay, on the ledger, it looks like Sam is richer than Sally. It looks like Sam is able to get more goods and resources out of society than Sally. He is richer. But here's the problem. Maybe uh, Sam, he got his Bitcoins from somebody who had just interacted with somebody off the dark web. Maybe he got his Bitcoins from some underground mining facility in China where there is like, you know, uh, you know, surf labor or, or kids being used to like plug in these things. You know, there's like it's like a Bitcoin sweatshop or something. I don't know. But like say that can be tracked. Well, also consider maybe his Bitcoins get blacklisted by OFAC, which we talked about last week. Okay, well, he has four Bitcoins, but the market or the miners, which process the transactions, they could say, no, we don't want to process those transactions. And if you do want to process these transactions, we're going to do it for like a really, really high fee. So it could be that Sam actually doesn't have as much wealth as Sally because Sally maybe just got her Bitcoins fresh off the press. You could still smell the hashes. And therefore, her bitcoins, her bitcoins are valued way more than Sam's bitcoins. 
And so you actually can't even tell based on the accounting ledger who has more wealth. So with this accounting ledger, currencies are supposed to represent the units of value on the accounting ledger. They're supposed to represent the numbers upon which everything is recorded, who owes who what. But if the units of value, which comprise those numbers on the ledger, are themselves not equal to each other, based on certain arbitrary historical traces and the subjective interpretations of what those mean, the accounting ledger can't work. Like the accounting ledger is fundamentally flawed. And this is not a problem you run into Monero because it's private. So that's why you should care that it's private. Not because like you can get away with all this nefarious stuff. I'm not a criminal. Like seriously, I, I've never used the dark web. I don't know how to use the dark web. I don't know what Tor is and like whatever. I know what Tor is, but I've never used it. I'm not a tech guy. Like it took me like those video clips. It took me two days to figure out how to do that stuff. Right. And I don't have a computer capable of even doing it, really. That's why it took me so long to some degree. But like, I'm not a tech guy. I'm not a criminal. I'm, I'm a very simple guy. And I love Monero because it's real money. It, like, you need that privacy because every Monero that you get, every Monero that you spend, it's the same as any other Monero because the histories can't be tracked and traced. And that that is really, really important. Like, you have to understand that if it's not that way where all the numbers on the ledger are equal to each other and the units of currency that underlie those numbers aren't equal to each other, then the accounting ledger cannot balance. And it can't be a real accounting ledger. It can't function. So that needs to be considered. How is it not fungible? I think we talked about that. I think we went into that, right? Can't be replaced with an identical item. So does that make sense, Ka? If you're watching this, please leave a comment. Let me know what you think about that. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But um, I was going to talk about this later, but let's skip to this now since we're on the topic of fungibility. So I was looking into gold, and this was talking about the fungibility of gold because I was thinking to myself, well, if you go to like a coin shop, some of you may have been to a coin shop before, you'll notice that some gold coins are worth more than other gold coins. You know, it could be that this gold coin was... Uh, made in like the 1700s or something like that. This one was made last year, and so the 1700s one may be more valuable than the one made last year. And so you have that, and then you have different designs, and you know different designs may be more rare than other designs. And so you could have differentiations in the values of the gold, right? So that could impact its fungibility. But here's... One thing that makes it different from Bitcoin, just thinking off the top of my head, you have gold, which has a determinate and absolute value according to the market based on its metal properties. So you could melt all of these coins down. They could be sold at X amount over spot, but you could melt all those coins down into the base element. And that element, if you sell it into the market, is going to be worth that dollar amount, that spot amount. And that's not the case with Bitcoin. With Bitcoin, the coins, to in most cases, have like an absolute upper limit as to what they're going to be valued, right? 
that is the market price. It's not the floor as with gold, it's the ceiling. Because Bitcoins can be worth less based on their histories. In fact, they can be blacklisted and taken totally out of circulation. Uh, because maybe they're involved with uh, certain illegal things. And we looked into a story involving uh, these Chinese uh, substance dealers, which were uh, moving these substances into the United States in mass quantities. And their Bitcoin accounts and their Litecoin accounts got blacklisted by OFAC. And as far as we understand, the currencies are still in there. And so those currencies by mere fiat dictate from an authority figure were deemed significantly less value. And so now the miners can't mine it, you know, and so that's a big difference. And that is something really to consider. And in the world that we have coming, based on decentralization of Bitcoin mining that's currently happening, it doesn't take for too many of these big mining pools in Bitcoin to be mandated not to mine certain coins based on the historical relationships those coins have with certain wallet addresses. Um, Bednar, we need to get him on the program. We need to do an interview with him. But he did some math, and he calculated that if you do, if you make 10% of all the Bitcoin miners in the world comply with global regulations... Uh, from FATF uh, or from OFAC or one of these other global financial regulatory uh, authority systems, then that's enough to make everybody in the system disincentivized from mining those Bitcoins and mining those Litecoins. Only 10%. In the world that we're going into, I imagine it's going to be more than 10% that are going to be subject to all this compliance stuff because you have a lot of people who are investing in Bitcoin mining operations instead of buying these ASICs uh, uh, mining rigs themselves because those cost like ten grand. Why would I do that when I could just invest my money in one of these Bitcoin mining companies, which already does it, and they can you know scale those variable costs and make it much more profitable. They could pass those profits on to you, and so I imagine it's going to become ever more centralized. But check this out, right? Check this out. Back to our point about fungibility. The line between fungibility and non-fungibility may be a thin one. Gold is generally considered fungible. One gold ounce is equivalent to another gold ounce, though in some cases it is not. When otherwise fungible goods are given serial numbers or other uniquely identifying marks, they may no longer be as fungible. So with, with Bitcoin, every single Bitcoin, every single one has identifying marks. Every single one. And this is saying that some... Gold can lose its fungibility properties because of serial numbers or uniquely identifiable marks. Adding unique numbers to bars of gold, collectibles, and other items makes it possible to distinguish them. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York offers gold custody services to central banks, I wouldn't trust them, and governments around the world by storing gold bars in its underground vault. Yeah, who knows how much is there? All of the gold bars deposited into the vault are weighed with precision, and the refiner may purity and the refiner impurity markings on the individual bars are inspected to confirm they match the depositor instruction sheets. All of this is carefully monitored and recorded, and since the exact 
bars deposited to the New York Fed are the exact ones returned upon withdrawal, these types of gold deposits are not considered fungible. Right, and you can make it fungible again if you melt them down and you get rid of the serial numbers, which is sort of like what these Bitcoiners try to do with like CoinJoin and Bitcoin mixers, which don't work as good as just melting the gold and getting the serial number off because a lot of stuff can still be tracked and traced. They're making algorithms to figure this stuff out, and they're able to identify wallets which are associated with these kinds of services. And yeah, they're going to maybe declare that high risk, and whatever Bitcoins you get back, first off, maybe tainted because a lot of people are taking their tainted coins to these services to wash them out when it could be that everything just becomes tainted in them but when they take it out to send it to an exchange the exchange could, the exchange could say that hey um we suspect based on certain algorithmic uh, calculations which were done on behalf of our blockchain forensics analytical partners that this has been involved in certain high-risk activity and if they deem Coin joining and Bitcoin mixing to be high-risk activity, well, you won't be able to use the exchange. And so then the argument to respond to that may be, well, you know, uh, thank God for atomic swaps. Atomic swaps are coming out. Sweet. We'll be able to just atomically swap out of Bitcoin and Monero, and that fixes that problem. Well, look, if people in the Monero community and people in the privacy sector community in general, what we call the Freedom Coin sector— if they become more aware of this, which a lot of them are because people in our space are just really freaking smart, they're really on top of it, if they see that happening and they see the surveillance continue to expand for Bitcoin, how enticed are you going to be to swap your Monero for that Bitcoin? If you do, there's going to be a major, major premium for it because you're not going to want to risk getting exposure to tainted coins that you're not going to be able to put on an exchange or that you're not going to be able to do whatever it is you maybe planned on doing with. Maybe you're going to put up the Bitcoin as collateral. Well, who are you going to put the Bitcoin up as collateral to? Are those people not going to have their own analytics firms to check out that Bitcoin and make sure that Bitcoin isn't tainted in case that you don't pay the loan back? They take the collateral and maybe that collateral they can't sell into the market for dollars and liquid assets, right? And so that's going to make Bitcoin, again, just less attractive on a holistic level than just using Monero. So that is just some stuff to say to start this all off. I, feel, I say to start this off. This is going to be a long video, guys. We've already gone 30 minutes through. It's going to be a longer video. We've got a lot to talk about. But I think we're hitting so many key points here that I think you guys want to keep watching and see what it is I have to say about Michael Saylor, which is key. So I've actually written some things down here. Uh, so where are we going to start? We're going to start at 520. This is an interview that he did with the Coindesk. And I believe the Coindesk is very much owned by the Digital Reserve Group or something like that. Uh, I have to look into that. I was going to get conspiratorial for a sec, but we've already spent a lot of time, so let's just skip here. And we're going to go through some pretty revealing information. This may be like a three-hour video, and I'll try to like timestamp all the stuff out so that you guys have some time to go through a lot of this uh, efficiently. But yeah, there's just a lot we need to talk about here. So, Concerned, and what are you watching out for at this week's Fed meeting? Well, let, me, let me slow this down. Let me slow this down. All right. Months ago, there was no inflation in sight, and we speculated that it might get to 2%, and when it did, uh, the Fed would do something. Then they changed the, uh, the expectation to 
they would do nothing until it got over 2% for a long period of time. In the last month, it's I think it's now 5%. And so we found inflation uh, by CPI standards. And so institutions have reason to be concerned about inflation between that and the commodity inflation, which is rampant. I think Paul Tudor Jones messages. Are- right. And commodities are great investments. Um, I personally like uranium. I think uranium is great right now. It looks very bullish. Listen to Rick Rule more on that. And that's another guy I need to get on the channel and talk to. He's great. Uh, oil's looking great. Oil, guys. Um, oil's going to be big. Oil's going to go up significantly in value. I'm not sure how that's going to be able to... I'm not sure how that's going to impact crypto mining operations. There's a lot to dig into there. Um, we'll talk about that later. But if you're going to get into oil, I would just throw this out there, not financial advice. I would look into Eastern oil companies because a lot of the western oil companies they're going to have to put up with increasing environmentalist regulation which is going to price them out of the market it's going to make it more expensive to get out of the ground and they're going to lose market share they're already cutting off the capacity for these oil companies to engage in exploration of oil uh and they're cutting off their capacity to expand their oil drilling operations and so you would want to get exposure to russian oil companies in my opinion arabian oil companies and in particular, I really like Gazprom. I really like Gazprom. They just finished up that Nord Stream 2 pipeline going into Europe, which is going to further consolidate the Eurasian economic system, which is coming out right now. And we're going to talk about that Eurasian economic system in regards to de-dollarization here in a second. But oil is great. Uranium is great. Gold and silver, fantastic. Copper has been doing really well. I think that's going to expand into the future with the quote-unquote electrification of the uh, global infrastructure. So just some things to consider there. Good one for Bitcoin. He's saying that he's upping his allocation from one or 2% to 5%. That's great. I think it signals that institutional adoption is coming. Uh, I think it's only rational to look for a monetary inflation hedge at this point. Interesting. <laughs> you see his face? I think Bitcoin's a good inflation. Uh, we also hear from Elon Musk saying that Tesla will resume accepting payments. He looks payments. a little high-strung here. Does he look a little high-strung? Does he look a little uh, zapped on the Bitcoin? Maybe like those laser eyes are literally like there behind his... In Bitcoin, if Bitcoin mining reaches about 50% in renewable energy, a lot of Bitcoin maximalists just want Elon to go. So he's talking about the environmental stuff. I don't really want to talk about this right now, but... Um, yeah, so he's talking about how inflation is going to get off the chain for the U.S. dollar. But then he says later in the interview at 1230. So let's skip it back here. I think the U.S. dollar is going to spread to 5 billion people. I think that the, this decade is going to see the explosion of the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency of the <laughs> Okay, so how do you reconcile this stuff? I just don't understand. So, yeah, we know we're going into hyperinflation at some point. It's going to be very inflationary. And he's saying that, yeah, this is a great um, fundamentalist position behind dollars expanding throughout the globe. Like, this is why more people are going to use the dollar. They're going to be so attracted to the dollar because of its wonderful inflation. Like, that doesn't make too much sense to me. Does it make a lot of sense to you guys? That doesn't make too much sense to me. Why would you take that position? Well, he's about to tell you. 
the world. It'll be the digital currency that'll be on every iPhone and every Android phone. <laughs> Isn't that terrifying? <laughs> he wants he wants the U.S. dollar to expand and to become the reserve asset, the reserve currency for everybody's phone in the world. He wants everybody on the dollar. Listen to this guy. And every country in Africa and Asia and South America. And it'll move on Bitcoin rails, the Bitcoin open monetary. Pro so he wants to use Bitcoin in order to expand the use of the dollar. Now, if that doesn't sound like antichristal <laughs> to the initial, uh, I guess you could say Christ-like vision of Satoshi Nakamoto, which is to have like uh, Bitcoin be the key to get us out of the jail cell of the current monetary system, which is currently impoverishing the entire world and sending everybody into a tailspin. Like, he wants to use the dollar as the medium exchange instead of the peer-to-peer -peer cash system, which is what Satoshi Nakamoto wanted. He wanted Bitcoin to overtake all of these fiat currencies, which according to him and according to these commenter are toxic and are failing. So I'm not sure if I understand. Protocol is what allows the U.S. That? dollar to spread to billions of people. In, a, in an inflationary environment, uh, money breaks. <laughs> Dude, you can see the lasers popping out of his eyes. Down into two <laughs> forms. There's a, a medium of exchange. We'll call it the currency, and that'll be controlled by governments. And the U.S. currency is going to be the most powerful one. And then you. Yeah, so the government is going to, I guess, stay in total control of the monetary system, according to Sailor. Bitcoin's not going to change that. He doesn't really have any anticipation of that changing. So that's completely different than what the anarcho-capitalist uh, apostles passed down to us on the digital tablets of their wisdom. Like, they wanted Bitcoin to be our way out of this tyrannical, technocratic, panopticonical global monetary system. But Michael Saylor has no intentions on that changing. You need a he wants that to expand to 6 billion people. For a value, and that's an asset, and Bitcoin is the most powerful store of value on Earth. So Do you mean... So, Okay, so he's talking about how the dollar is going to be the main reserve currency of the world and why Bitcoin's going to help that out. Well, let's look at some charts. Uh, let's look at de-dollarization because that doesn't really seem to be happening. So this is from the uh, IMF. And mind you, if we go to a completely digital U.S. dollar, then that's just going to make inflation go into hyperdrive. Seriously, because inflation is a problem in regards to resources. It's fundamentally a resource problem. Uh, yeah, you do have the expansion of the money supply, but at the end of the day, with our supply chain issues, with shortages going on, um, you can't fix that with more money. You can't get more resources out of the ground in a faster way by just printing more money. Ultimately, it's a resource issue. And uh, I, don't, I don't see how the dollar being used on the Bitcoin rails is actually going to help that. Like if you're just going to be sending money straight to people's accounts, which some people have talked about in high levels of finance, they're like, well, why don't we just send money straight to people's bank accounts from the Fed? Like, why don't we have everyone set up an account at the Fed and then the Fed could just send them the central bank digital currency because it's too tedious to go through the banking system. There's too much overhead. A lot of that makes it into the capital markets, whatever. Why don't we just send it straight to people so that they could spend it on what it is they need to get? Well, <laughs> like, look at Australia, right? They're completely locked down. A lot of people aren't working. Uh, you could send all the money in the world to these people. 
if nobody's making anything, which we aren't in the United States, we don't make anything. We have a trade deficit of, I think this year is going to be over a trillion dollars, right? And so if we're not making anything and all that we're doing in order to get resources continuing to come into the country is just just ship out all these worthless dollars, uh, yeah, that's going to make inflation go into serious hyperdrive. And the idea that that's going to help the U.S. dollar expand as a reserve currency, it's exactly the opposite. (laughs) Like all these people who are working in the third world for these worthless dollars, which are continuously becoming more worthless by the day, they're going to say, well, is there another currency we could use? Is there something else that we could exchange our hard-earned goods and services for? instead of these dollars to just continue to feed these fat Americans which just sit at home and do nothing and make nothing. Oh, China? What's that? You have a you have a yuan? Oh, you're going to maybe back it with gold? I mean, we'll see if that happens. We don't know if that's going to happen. That's speculated though. It's been speculated for a long time, but yeah, we're going to back uh maybe we'll use the yuan. I mean, at least China has a higher interest rate so that if you do receive yuan for your goods and services, you know, you could buy Chinese bonds which yield maybe like 5%. It's not inflating as bad now they still have huge bubbles over in china let's not be uh misgiven about that but maybe they also buy the ruble you can get a higher interest rate in russia uh they're actually able to balance their books like everyone talks about how poor russia is dude russia doesn't have nearly the amount of debt that we do they have a trade surplus instead of a massive trade deficit like their economy although it isn't as big as the united states is growing in a sustainable fashion and they're stacking up massive amounts of gold. They're ditching a lot of their dollar reserves and a lot of their dollar assets. And so they're getting into real stuff. And they have huge oil reserves, which they're not shy about get, excuse me, getting access to. So a lot of these people in the third world, a lot of these people in the developing markets, which are becoming part of the uh, Belt and Road Initiative and are becoming part of the Eurasian trading economic zone, well, they're going to opt for using maybe euros or another currency instead of the dollar because the dollar is just continuously inflating. Like all the central banks around the world are continuing to raise their interest rates in response to inflation except the United States. And we can't do it here because we have too much debt. And if we raise those rates, uh, yeah, you're going to have a debt crisis pretty quick, pretty quick if you do that. So that's sort of my argument as to why it's ridiculous to think that the U.S. reserve status is going to get emboldened and strengthened but this is just the data to sort of back me up here so this again this is from the imf u.s dollar share of global foreign exchange reserves drops to a 25 year low u.s dollar reserves held by central banks fell to 59 percent its lowest in 25 years uh and a lot of these central banks again are getting gold some analysts say that this partly reflects the declining role of the U.S. dollar in the global economy in the face of competition from other currencies used by central banks for international transactions. If the shifts in central bank reserves are large enough, they can affect currency and bond markets. So just sort of look at this chart here. Look at this decline. Look at that decline. Like, that is a pretty solidified trend. Uh, and the euro... Looks like it's gaining in response to this. Uh, and I don't know what this green line is. I imagine that's gold. Like gold reserves are seriously, seriously increasing for a lot of central banks. You look at Hungary, you look at Russia, Afghanistan, I think just recently tried to get their gold back from the New York Fed. And we're like, uh, no, <laughs> you're not going to get that back. <laughs> Tallies. Uh, U.S. dollar share of foreign reserve assets. 
So yeah, you could read into this stuff. This goes into more uh, deets on that. All right, so this is Escobar. This guy is just really freaking smart. This is from Zero Hedge, but this is from uh, Pepe Escobar from the Asian Times. He writes a lot about the establishment of the Eurasian trade zone and the rise of China economically and the Belt and Road Initiative stuff we just talked about. But he says here, arguably the most eye-catching panel on the SPIEF was on the post-COVID night. Or, oh, no, I said it. Uh-oh. The bug 19, grr, I hope I don't get censored, or abnormal in how economics will be reshaped. An important subsection is how Russia can possibly capitalize on it in terms of productive growth. That was a unique opportunity, blah, blah, blah. So it was Solzhenitsyn who, in fact, commanded all the SPIEF-related headlines when he announced that Russia will totally ditch the U.S. dollar in the structure of the National Wealth Fund, the de facto Russian Sovereign Wealth Fund, as well as reduce the share of the British pound. Yeah, the British currency is going to be worthless too. The NWF will have more euros and yuan, more gold, and the yen's share remains stable. Yeah, the Japanese have an inflation problem, but they also make a lot of stuff. Um, this ongoing de-dollarization process has been more than predictable. In May, for the first time, less than 50% of Russian exports were denominated in U.S. dollars. So, yep. He explained that sales of roughly $119 billion in liquid assets will go through the Russian Central Bank and not through the financial markets. The Central Bank, after all, has been steadily getting rid of U.S. dollars for years. Sooner or later, China will follow. In parallel, some nations across Eurasia, in an extremely discreet manner, are also bypassing what is de facto the currency of a debt-based economy to the tune of tens of trillions of dollars, as Michael Hudson has been explaining in detail. Not to mention that transacting U.S. dollars exposes whole nations to an extraterritorial, extra uh, extortionary judicial machine. Right. So we've talked about FACA here on the channel how all banks abroad, if they still want to have access to the U.S. markets, need to comply with this very restrictive FATCA requirement, which means it has to basically spy on the financial activity of all of its own citizens. Because maybe their citizens deal with people from the U.S., and if those citizens deal with people from the U.S., then they want to make sure those people from the U.S. are paying all the tax to the United States. So it's a really, uh, it's a really restrictive regulatory system to deal in dollars. Now, I... Imagine that's probably going to be coming for China and Russia if they start to get more market share. But as of now, yeah, it may be easier to use those currencies. And I believe that in Europe, there is another system being built to bypass SWIFT because a lot of European nations want to continue trade with Russia. But we're making it very difficult on them. We're putting the clamps down on a lot of European nations, particularly Germany, uh, to not do business with Russia. And it was just a huge diplomatic struggle uh, to stop Germany from following through on the building of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. But they invariably did it. And so now that's going to put 
Europe as a whole more so into the camp of Russia because if Europe is more dependent on Russia for its gas, well, that means it's probably going to have um, Russia's going to have a little bit more of a political leverage. So that is happening. Russia says it will remove dollar assets from its wealth fund. Right? So, yeah, you just have de-dollarization happening. And this is one reason why we don't really like Russia too much. Underpinned by money that Russia makes from oil, the NWF, the National Wealth Fund, was initially designed to support the nation's pension system. It forms part of Russia's gold and currency reserves that totaled $600 billion. Yeah, they're talking about digital currencies too over there in Russia. What alarms me is if Russia, China, and Iran each create central bank digital currencies to operate outside the dollar, other countries will follow them. That would be alarming, according to this treasury official. So, yeah. Yeah, it could be alarming. And all these central banks are making their own digital currencies right now. Like, there's there's this weird thing happening. It, it's It looks like propaganda to me where... The central banks and the people who argue on the behalf of central banks, like Michael Saylor, he is, uh, they're saying that they're thinking about coming out their central bank digital currencies because they need to respond to the growth of the cryptocurrency market. So they're looking, according to this narrative, at Bitcoin, and they're saying, wow, digital currencies, total digital currencies would be a great idea. But they've been on this cashless society thread for a very long time, guys. Because if everything is digital, that means you can't have cash with which to pay under the table for things that you would rather not have over Sears C. And so the idea that the central bank digital currency movement is a response to the rise of this private sector cryptocurrency sphere, that narrative, I think, is being pushed out there to make it look like the central banks aren't trying to do what it is they're actually trying to do, which is to get everybody locked up into this uh, cryptographic surveillance system, which makes it so that everything you do financially is seen and tracked and is linked to you. And if they don't like what it is you're about, maybe they don't like your social media posts, maybe you engage in some online language or speech that maybe they don't like, they can just cut you out of the financial system. They could blacklist your coins. They could uh, cut you off, right? So... They don't want people to think that's the case, so they're going to make people think, oh, well, we're just going along with the times. You know, we're just innovating with everybody else. It's sort of like that. It's sort of like if Pablo Escobar, uh, you know, gets out of jail, he's like completely broke, and then to start up his operations again, like he goes to like some high school party, he's got like a little baggie of the snow, and he's like, hey, homeboy, just a baggie for 50. <laughs> he's just like some washed up guy trying to still think he's cool. Uh, and then you look at him, it's just like, oh, well, God bless that guy. You know, he's just trying to continue on with the times. Or maybe, like, he starts to uh, self-crowd him or something like that. But, uh, you know, that's what the central banks, I guess, according to this narrative, are trying to do. But really, they're the kingpins. Like, they're the ones who are trying to get everybody onto this digital system so that they can totally control people and have more leverage on society. So... Yeah, yeah, that uh, is, I think, what's happening. So I think we dug into that a little bit. What's next? We've got 935. So this is a good thing I want to get to here. This, again, ties into the whole store, store value thing. So let me 
write down that timestamp for when I said that bad word because I really don't want to get censored. I think it was around minute 40 or something like that, 40 to 50, somewhere in there. Uh, I said a bad word. I said stabby. Okay, so 9.35. Let's skip over here. It was a big highlight, I think, with the enthusiasm of the entire Bitcoin community. Um there's there's just a lot of passion in the community right now, and uh, I just never seen such strong morale and uh, lots. He just sounds so excited. It's really positive stories. I think people are very. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to hate on Michael Sato this much. I mean, God bless him. Just buy Monero, dude. Come on. Charged up <laughs> about what's going on in El Salvador. That was a big highlight. I think uh, the developments in Nigeria and Tanzania are highlights. I think that the news this weekend out of Lebanon that the that Lebanese have lost 90% of the value of their local currency and their dollar amounts or dollar balances are frozen by the banking system. I think that punctuates just how important Bitcoin is to the entire world. So he's like, yeah, Lebanon should go all in on Bitcoin instead of the dollar. I mean, he didn't say that exactly, but he's like, yeah, Bitcoin would be great for Lebanon. Because they're going through hyperinflation. But, yeah, you know, when you go through hyperinflation and your society collapses, something else that could collapse is your electrical grid. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, they don't even have the electricity to save people's lives in hospitals. But you're telling me that they're going to have electricity in sufficient enough supply to run Bitcoin? I mean, that would be a problem, right? If, like, you're value is locked up in a system which requires electricity to use and maybe you need to pay your electric bill which is prohibitively expensive because of the lack of resources available and the only way to pay your electric bill is to first sell electricity in order to get into your bitcoin and then pay it or at least to cash it out and then to pay it right that would be somewhat of a problem in which case you need to borrow someone's electricity hey could i use electricity i need to get in my phone so i could get my bitcoin and cash out my bitcoin and get money to pay my electric bill and then i'll pay you back it's just like oh my goodness not to mention the transaction costs with having to cash out your Bitcoin, which is going to be like, you know, probably a week's worth of wages for these people. So failed states have failed electric grids. So key point, guys. <laughs> I mean, store of value? I mean, look, what does a store of value mean? Let's just let's just go through this real quick. Store of value. So a store of value is an asset that maintains its value rather than depreciating. Gold, metal, and other commodities that have essentially perpetual shelf lives are good stores of value. Right? So, yeah, again, commodities. But here's the deal with Bitcoin, right? Here's the deal with Bitcoin. Everything that keeps Bitcoin running are all depreciable the rigs depreciate the electrical grid depreciates everything that makes bitcoin run needs consistent maintenance this is not the case with many commodities the commodities have been in earth for a millennia well many many millennia right bitcoin requires specialized technicians to continue to keep the network alive you need continue to you need people to continue to mine the bitcoin network 
you need people to keep up the infrastructure. So you need new rigs, you need more maintenance on the rigs. So to say it's a store of value, there are many derivative properties and functions which need to be considered perpetually in use for Bitcoin to then be considered a store of value. But these things are in and of themselves depreciable. So Bitcoin rests upon the idea of Bitcoin being a store of value rests on many conditions which have to be met. When you just hold gold in your hand or you hold silver in your hand, it's there. That's value. That's right there. That's proof of work in your hand right there. No more mining has to be done. The mining was done, and here you have it. It's in your hand. But when it comes to Bitcoin, if you want to transact, your transaction gets included into a block, which is mined, which is then transferred. Which means mining and work has to continue to be done if you want to use your Bitcoin, if you want to transact it. That's not the case with other stores of value. It's there. It is there. The work has been done. And so that is something to consider. And when you have stuff like this happening, ladies and gentlemen, because Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies rely on network effects, if you start to have currency crises everywhere and you have a global debt crisis, which when it goes off, because there is a global debt crisis that's coming, and this is going to cause resource issues everywhere. It's going to cause oil to go through the roof and other commodities to go nuclear. If it becomes so prohibitively expensive to keep up the network, and maybe you can't because electrical grids are failing everywhere, like the people who have the special, uh, the specialized capacity to keep these grids up and running, which is no easy task, well, that's going to significantly impact the capacity for people to use these cryptocurrencies, which is going to knock on its network effect because if less people are using Bitcoin, then it becomes less valuable. And that's another derivative property of Bitcoin being a store of value is that other people have to also think it's a store of value. Gold and silver are intrinsically valuable. Like silver have has like 100 different uses. Like you could use it uh, to make solar panels, you can make, use it to treat water, to purify water. You could use it to adorn food. You could use it for the making of automobiles and cell phones. Like there is so much that silver is used for. It's the most conductive metal there is out there. Bitcoin is just digits on a screen. And it's an accounting ledger. And when all these derivative properties, which are depreciable, did I say appreciable or depreciable? Which are depreciable, which means they have to be consistently maintained in order to work. That is a risky store of value relative to Bitcoin. Now, it could be considered a store of value if you're looking to hold it while the adoption phase is happening, right? In that case, it's not a store of value. It's just a trade. <laughs> like you're getting in on a massive adoption trade. But that's not to say it's a store of value because the Bitcoin system can't perpetuate through time without certain conditions being met and continuously met through consistent work. That's not the case with other stores of value. So that's just something to consider. I'd like to hear what you guys think about that. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, countries with robust electric grids usually have strong civil institutions and robust economies. 
But as can be seen in Lebanon, Iraq, Nigeria, and other places where corruption runs unchecked, electric grids simply don't work, right? So we have a lot of corruption here in the United States. And I was talking about this yesterday. I am not so confident that the electrical grid will stay intact. Like, people just have that as a given. It's not a given, guys. It's not a given. And especially with all this cyber polygon stuff going on, I mean, who knows? What if the internet shuts off? I mean, we've seen instances where 20% of the internet just disappears, uh, because, you know, some server hub got cyber attacked or like maybe they just had a glitch or something like all of these derivative functions have only been working for what, 20, 30 years. And these stores of value that we're talking about here in regards to commodities in regards to gold and some of these other things, like they have been stores of value for thousands upon thousands of years. So we would need to see. Bitcoin be a store of value for a bit for a bit longer of a period than 10 years in order for us to be confident that is the case, in my opinion. So let me know what you guys think about that. I mean, another argument is like, oh, well, in Lebanon, what they could do is they could use paper wallets. Like they could use paper Bitcoins. They could just tra- transact the Bitcoin keys to each other that way without using electricity. Okay, well, you try to go into like a halal shop with your with your paper Bitcoin and see what they say. <laughs> They're going to look at that and be like, dude, what are you high on? <laughs> I'm, what, what is this? Is this like, is this QR code like an Egyptian hieroglyphic? What, what are you trying to give me? What is this? Right? And then somebody comes in with like a little piece of silver. It's like, okay, cool, sweet, thanks. Here's your, here's your meat. So just some thoughts on that. I think we've gone through a good bit so far. Oh, boy. What else do we have to get into? What are we at right now? We're at an hour. Should have done like a live stream. But this will be a great video. This will be referenced, I bet, for time to come, hopefully. So, microcellulars continue to buy. Bitcoins in Vlad Castilla. If you're watching this video, what's up, Vlad? We got in touch on Twitter. I hope that you watched this. I said that we were coming out with a video on this stuff yesterday. Now, he had said some interesting things in regards to Monero being scalable, which is why he likes Bitcoin more than Monero. Now, if there's any argument as to why you would like Bitcoin more than Monero, that would be it, assuming the Lightning Network works and that it's going to be adopted and that it's going to function as advertised. Uh, Because Monero has some scalability stuff which is currently being worked on, but it would be the biggest hurdle for Monero for widespread global adoption. Um, Now, it has dynamic block size, which is great, but in regards to node operators having to download the entire entire blockchain, which expands, I think, faster than Bitcoin because you have to... uh, you have to keep all the unspent transactions and the spent transactions together. And I'm getting technical here. I'm getting kind of outside my pay grade, but there is a lot of stress that can only be ameliorated by better and better CPU bandwidth and hardware capacity. And so because of that increasing demand on the node operators and miners to keep up with the ever-expanding size of the blockchain, that is an argument as to why it could be centralized. 
But that problem is, I want to say, five to ten years down the road. That's not a problem we're dealing with now. And hopefully uh, the developers who are working very hard to try to solve this will figure out a solution to that. Maybe there's going to be some kind of layer two. Uh, they're working on something called trip, uh, Triptych. I think that's what it's called, Triptych. You know, it's, we're not going to look at that now. Triptych, it's uh, something to make transactions smaller. Uh, and to make it more private so that you could expand the ring signatures, I believe. So we'll get into that later. But uh, yeah, who's right about that? What's up, Vlad? So we're going to go through a couple of these articles. He had made some points, which I thought were interesting. So he's talking about the Bitcoin community being mesmerized by Michael Saylor. He's buying a lot of Bitcoins. And he had just bought more Bitcoins today. And I think he's now sitting at about 108,000 Bitcoins. He owns about 108,000 Bitcoins through MicroStrategy. So people are writing hymns and singing the praises about Michael Saylor's mightiness and leadership and strong hands. Now he's everyone's favorite Giga Chad. He's saying the price is going up forever. Yeah, so he's like uh, the new Bitcoin guy. Like this guy probably gets more cred and praise than Satoshi. That's why I call him the Antichrist of Crypto. So some say that Michael Saylor quote-unquote gets it. Others already assume that he wants to be remembered as the greatest corporate CEO of all time and the man who accelerated hyper-Bitcoinization. Uh, blah, blah, blah. People who otherwise would have never been interested in the work that MicroStrategy does are now buying stocks in MicroStrategy. And... He's pretty smart in regards to this. Like MicroStrategy, what their strategy was, if you want to put it that way, was to allow for institutional investors to get exposure to Bitcoin because a lot of these institutions, because of their charters, they can't directly buy Bitcoin. A lot of the charters make it so that they can only buy like accredited stocks and and, and get exposure to corporate debt and some of these other well-known instruments. And so what they're doing instead of buying Bitcoin, because a lot of these institutions, they can't do that, the regulatory framework just isn't there quite yet, is they're buying MicroStrategy and they're buying uh, Grayscale Trust and they're buying some of these other stocks which hold Bitcoin. And that's the way that they're getting around it. And Michael Saylor, he had just done a debt issuance recently where he had sold debt to some of these institutions for like a coupon rate of about 6%, I want to say, which is higher than what a lot of other corporate debt in the market pays out. So he paid a premium to get this debt and buy more Bitcoins. And this was a way that other institutions could get involved. So it's an interesting strategy he has. So Vlad here is skeptical. Skeptical Vlad... Russians really are skeptical, aren't they? After, after that whole uh, 20th century thing, you know, they're pretty skeptical about a lot. So, And I'm not only worried about the fungibility of Bitcoin as a currency, right? So he's pretty smart. But I also feel concerned about the damage that Michael Saylor can cause if he ever becomes evil. Well, we should be skeptical of everyone in that regard. Everyone has the seed of evil, don't they? Uh, so he's worried about a psyop now that that was news to me i didn't think that this would be any kind of psyop but he does make an interesting case here and looking into micro strategies business 
it definitely sets off some conspiratorial alarms. So let's dig more into this. After all, we're not dealing with a regular businessman. Michael Saylor is the co-founder and CEO of Michael's, uh, MicroStrategy. Sorry, I got a burp. Excuse me. And MicroStrategy is an intelligence company which operates within the legal boundaries of the United States of America, regularly works with the federal government, and makes all of its money helping contractors gather data and process it. Now, we've talked about the surveillance behind Bitcoin a lot on this channel. When I read this, I was like, oh my gosh. Because if Bitcoin becomes big, if Bitcoin becomes the next big thing, this guy stands to profit in more ways than just one. In more ways than just, oh, cool, I'm holding Bitcoin, so I'm going to get rich. Like, no. He's going to be able to provide intelligence services on everything going on in the Bitcoin blockchain. And he's already got these relationships with the government. Looking at his website here. He does business intelligence. Hyper-intelligence. And who has Michael Saylor worked with? Okay. Homeland Security. The Defense Threat Reduction Agency. The Postal Service. The Army. The Department of Justice. Okay, so he's got all these relationships already established with the government. Department of Justice and Homeland Security particularly set off red flags for me because we've talked about the Homeland Security before. Uh, we've talked about that department before in the context of them working with, or, or, or no, rather, they're expanding the definition of what a terrorist is. And we looked at OFAC and the Department of Treasury, and they have the capacity to blacklist Bitcoins and wallet addresses, which are associated with terror activity and Homeland Security has the capacity to expand that definition, which they've done recently. Anyone who has opposition to the bug measures, anyone who uh, thinks that the election was finagled in 2020, anyone who celebrates particular religious holidays. I mean, they've said this before, folks. It's crazy. But those are, according to Homeland Security, potential terror threats. Okay. So just, just keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind. That is pretty interesting that's where this guy's kind of going um in situations like this assuming good faith and work in a situation like this assuming good faith and work in the best interest of bitcoin is naive at best i love the skepticism of russians hey who does this guy think he is this uh laser-eyed fellow throw him in the gulag but now let's break down the two entities and identify how and why they can become Bitcoin villains. I'm not only doing it for the sake of my own critical spirit, but to help others understand the magnitude of this potential threat. I haven't worked in intelligence, but in Hollywood films, Intel guys usually quote Sun Tzu's 100 Battles prob probability game before proceeding to tap their keyboards frantically. So please allow me to do the same. How and why MicroStrategy can become a Bitcoin villain? Just so you don't think that this whole piece is the mark of a vendetta against Michael Saylor, the man, Saylor the Savior, I'm going to talk about MicroStrategy first. After all, it's the corporation that owns nearly 100,000 Bitcoin, and as of today, 108,000. 
and the CEO can get replaced by the board of directors. You know, when the Pepsi guy shows up and steadily replaces the co-founder by virtue of his Cola Wars tactics. Oh, wait, that wasn't micro. Never mind. I don't know what that means. I'm not going to say that MicroStrategy can sell Bitcoins to dump the price because that's the lowest hanging fruit. And I'm usually dissatisfied with the cheap attacks. Yeah, I mean, who knows if that's going to happen. But look, I mean, that is something to consider if his if his cost averaging goes up because he continues to buy more Bitcoin and then it crashes because maybe there's like a phase shift from Bitcoin into Monero or Bitcoin into another currency, which is better. I mean, Monero is better than Bitcoin. When people figure this out, it, especially with the atomic swaps out, it could be like a paradigmatic shift. Yeah, he could dump. And if he dumps and if people know which wallet is his and there start to be movements of that crypto out. And like, that's the thing about the Bitcoin blockchain is that you can see all the whales wallets and these whales wallets and the activity thereof can be used to figure out bearish and bullish activity. So if these wallets accumulate, well, then that sort of disseminates a lot of trust into the people associated with Bitcoin. Then they're like, okay, so the big wallets are buying, which means it's probably bull time, right? But if they start to sell, well, that could be a sign of bad things to come. And so if there's already a bear market happening and we, we get down to a certain point and the whales start to sell even, that could start a whole panic. That could start like a bank run. And that's another reason why you may not want to be in the Lightning Network because if you have that kind of risk brewing under the surface, uh, you know, it may take time for you to get out of Lightning Network and then to get to an exchange and then sell your coins. And in the Lightning Network, your funds are locked up. So, just things to consider there. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. You see, Bitcoin as a currency is not very fungible, so it's not a currency. Not only that you can use blockchain analysis to track the origins of Bitcoin amounts, but you can also trace the origins of coins to the block when they were first minted. Yes, it's true that coin joins can help add an extra layer of bamboo boozling and plausible deniability well you can still get t uh, tainted bitcoins out of that uh maybe the coins you get back are considered high risk and you can't go on to an exchange we've talked about this on our bitcoin mixing video uh and i'm a big fan of wasabi wallets research and privacy advocacy and mixing research yeah so they're doing some pretty interesting stuff over there and yes the coins get divided into subunits shortly after being sent as coinbase rewards so tracing you at you every utxo unspent transaction to its origins can be a lot of work it's not impossible though and they'll do the work if they want to catch you that's why we use monero but let's get back on track every bitcoin that microstrategy acquires in its portfolio gets added to their balance sheet it gets acquired via contracts and it can only be sold through legal means which involve contracts as a publicly traded company which operates under the laws of the United States of America, MicroStrategy must be absolutely transparent about the Bitcoins that it owns. And it's not like they can engage in blockchain obfuscation, other privacy developments that may come along the way. Yeah, so what he's saying here is that the Bitcoins get on the grid. And the more that these regulatorily compliant corporations and institutions get their hands on Bitcoin, the more that intelligence firms, like MicroStrategy, incidentally enough, and, you know, the CIA and the NSA and Department of Justice and all, like the U.S. government and 
all the blockchain analytics firms are going to be able to more easily see who owns all these Bitcoins. And they're going to be able to more readily see where it goes. And they can track easily where they go. So that's something to consider. So the Bitcoins that MicroStrategy and every publicly traded company for that matter owns are forever tainted. Now, tainted, I thought, meant that it's involved in illegal activity. Just because the source of the Bitcoin is known, just because uh, they know who owns which Bitcoin, I don't think that means it's tainted, but it just means it's on the grid. And for it to get off the grid, uh, you're going to have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops, and it becomes less likely once it's on the grid. So the more Bitcoins that get onto the surveillance network, the better that they can compile their map of the blockchain and the more that they can deploy algorithms to more readily assess who owns which Bitcoins. And this is especially going to be the case as they expand the KYC and the AML stuff. The more that exchanges are made to comply with that, the more that wallets are made to comply with that. It's going to probably get to the point where if you want to set up a wallet, well, maybe you need to file some paperwork. And so, yeah, I get where he's coming from. I don't know if that means it's tainted, though. I think that just means it's mapped. But, yes, that makes it less fungible, right? The more they buy, the less fungible Bitcoin becomes as a currency. As the number of, quote-unquote, wild and, quote-unquote, untainted Bitcoin lowers, it's going to become a lot easier to track and identify the transactions that happen on what the U.S. Federal Reserve calls hosted wallets. Yes, and that key, that's exactly right. Now, I don't know if that means it's untainted per se. Taint usually has a bad connotation. Now, it's not good that it's being tracked, but usually it has to do with uh, coins that are involved in illegal activity, as far as I understand. But he may be right. This way, Bitcoin will truly become digital gold. And since that gold bars will get registered with a stamp, which, unlike its metallic counterpart, cannot be physically melted, obfuscated, or concealed. Let me read that again. Hold on. We talked about this earlier before. Yeah, yeah. And so that actually makes gold better. I see what he's saying. Um, Because gold could actually be melted, and again, those serial codes that we talked about earlier could be done away with. Uh, You could just turn it into a totally new uh, object or form. You could turn a big gold brick into, you know, assortment of, you know, necklaces and rings and stuff like this. Obfuscated or concealed. With gold, you can bury it. With Bitcoin, they know you have it. It's on your wallet. It's there forever. Right? So, yeah, it makes gold look more attractive to Bitcoin. And again, guys... I would rather have gold than this quote-unquote digital gold because digital gold doesn't really make a lot of sense. We're talking about an accounting system here. We're not talking about a real asset at the end of the day. We're talking about an accounting system. Now, you may have wealth in the asset column of this accounting system. Maybe that is considered an asset, but you have all these different cryptocurrencies everywhere, which also have asset columns, and at the end of the day, they're all just digital. And it really depends a lot on the subjective value of what people think of that asset column. A lot of this stuff, and yes, I'm an Australian 
economics kind of guy where all value is subjective, but uh, when it comes to gold and silver, as we talked about before, there are more use cases that you could actually do in the real world. And that is a better store of value than just having exposure to an asset column on a digital currency, in my opinion. Let me know if you guys disagree. I think we've made the case for that. MicroStrategy doesn't have to sell to crash the price of Bitcoin to become a villain. All the company has to do is keep on doing what it already and irreversibly... Hold on. All the company has to do is keep on doing what it already does and irreversibly destroy the fungibility of Bitcoin. It's not like these coins will ever get into the hands of plebs. They will always get transacted via contracts and institutional settlements, which clearly identify the public blockchain UTXOs. I mean, he could sell it to an exchange, and then the plebs could get it from there. But again, yes, it's on the system. And if the plebs get their Bitcoins from an exchange, uh, well, yeah. Yeah, you're going to be on the system. It's KYC. And as we went into our other videos before, it's like, yeah, they'll track it uh, multiple hops away from the exchange. They will track it. And if it gets to a certain domain that they don't like, maybe it ends up in some cyber dude's wallet in Russia or Uzbekistan, uh, they'll be like, hey, you shouldn't be allowed to use our exchange. And you'll be like, why? It's just because it seems like you're maybe doing some deals with some guys in Kazakhstan. It's like, what? What are you talking about? And it's just like, that's what our data analytics show. It's just like, dude, I, look. I bought some cookies. Maybe the cookie guys into like buying uranium under the table. But like, dude, that's what they can do though. They can accuse you of things that maybe you didn't do. You could get falsely accused because of A, where your Bitcoins came from and B, where your Bitcoins go. And so that is seriously problematic. And the more Bitcoins that get gobbled up by MicroStrategy... Because, look, if the price goes higher and a lot of people are like, cool, like, let me cash out my gains. These people in the, I guess you could call wild and untainted Bitcoin markets, they sell it into the exchange, then boom, they're on the grid. So that'll probably happen as the Bitcoin price goes up more and more and more, or they just atomically swap into Monero. But then the people in Monero are going to be worried about this, and, you know, maybe they're not going to switch it out. We'll see. So, moving on back to the article, if more publicly traded companies follow the example of MicroStrategy and add lots of Bitcoins to their portfolio, then they're essentially fulfilling the regulatory desires of the U.S. government. I've written about this in this article. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, pretty smart move. MicroStrategy can also work directly with the federal government and provide blockchain analysis tools. Exactly. So there's a there's another profit incentive here. And they already have those relationships with the federal government, which is crazy. Like that blew my mind when I figured out that last night. So there's a lot of ways that Sailor could benefit from the adoption of Bitcoin. Maybe it's not about money. Maybe it's not all about money. And mind you, Michael Saylor, another MIT grad. Seems like a lot of crypto stuff is going on at MIT. A lot of crypto stuff. Algorand is coming out of MIT, and Algorand seeks to link crypto with digital IDs. So, yeah, just connect some dots here. Maybe they don't mean anything. Maybe I'm just being conspiratorial, but uh, yeah, conspiracies are fun. They won't be as detailed as the ones that exchanges like Coinbase provide, 
They hired the, forming, the former hacking team to track all the incoming and outgoing transactions for Satoshi's sake. But their analysis tools might come in handy for some specific tasks. It's not like MicroStrategy is a stranger to contracted work for the Department of State and the Department of the Army. So, yeah, pretty wild. Pretty wild. MicroStrategy is helping the U.S. government regulate Bitcoin as a currency. Well, it's not a currency. And it's not that I have something against the U.S. government. But I want my currency of choice to be as fungible as cash. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen. So I use Monero. Uh, or you just get into other freedom coins. Right? And that's one way that, by the way, Vlad, if you're still watching this, that's one way that you could sort of fix the scalability problem of Monero is that you just have other freedom coins that you could atomically swap into so that if Monero gets too congested, you could go into Dara, you could go into Pirate Chain, you can go into some other, uh, you know, probably good tech, which is going to come out in the future, some new coins which may come out onto the market, and then you could have an entire ecosystem of interoperable, interlinked blockchains, which are all private, which are all fungible, and could all be used for money. So... It's not, even though I'm Monero Mateo and I love Monero the best, I'm not a maximalist. Like we need other currencies to also be functional in this space for widespread adoption. Like Darrow is doing great things in regards to private smart contracts. That's going to be key, guys. If you haven't gotten to Darrow yet, get into it. Let's check the price. Let's check the price. How's card started doing again? It's doing okay. I don't have any. I sold all of it. But, you know, you always get curious, right? It's like, did I sell at the wrong time? Let me see. I sold at the wrong time. I sold at like, you know, something less than $30. I'll just put it that way. So Darrow's going down a little bit. That's fun. How is Pirate Chain doing? 420, smoke up. And then, uh, yeah, there's something else. So this one is kind of like a speculation for me. Uh I'm unsure about the tech in regards to RCY coin. But look, guys, it only has a market cap of $7.5 million. Uh, you can mine it. You can proof of stake it. I don't know how you do both of those with the same currency. Again, the tech doesn't make any sense to me. It could just be a total scam coin. But, uh, yeah, I'm kind of just waiting for a pump. Because, again, guys, as we talked about yesterday, and this is totally off subject from what we're supposed to be talking about, but if Monero pumps... And Monero is going to go nuclear, I think. Then the entire trade ogre space here is going to pump big. While Nero, which is smaller cap, uh, Darrow, Pyrochain, which are smaller cap than Monero, uh, Conceal, PRCY coin, uh, and some of these others, they're going to be big. Xano, like they're going to go up significantly in value because people are just going to speculate like crazy. Like that's what people do. With Cardano, with Polkadot, like there are other projects associated with those which are newer, which are going to, I guess, complement the uh, blockchains. And then when Cardano starts to pump, cryptos like Cardstarter and Charlie 3 will pump along with it, more so than the main currency because it's a smaller cap. So, you know, maybe it has good privacy tech. Maybe it could also be used in the future, but ultimately it's kind of just a cool speculation. We'll see what happens with that. What was I going to say? I was going to say something. Grr. 
What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So Michael Saylor, he's got uh, these NFTs coming out. Like, dude, this look like this looks like it took literally five minutes. I don't mean to, like, turd on your work or anything, but, like, this guy's trying to sell this for $10,000, dude. What a grift. What a grift. But people will probably buy it. It's just an insane space. I, the whole NFT thing doesn't really make too much sense to me. Let me know if it makes sense to you guys. But, uh, yeah, Vlad's got some cool stuff. You want to check him out on the Bitcoin takeover. Uh, talking about Bitcoin's fungibility. Yeah, so just buy Bonero, just buy these coins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll read the end of this article, and then we'll wrap things up because we've been going on for, what, an hour and a half. So, yeah, I got to still work on that Lightning Network article. But, uh Yeah, there's some other points I wanted to get to here. So what he can do is advocate for the preservation of the current state of Bitcoin, discourage people from using privacy tools, and buy himself and his corporate friends enough time to load up on Bitcoin until privacy efforts become more or less futile. Right, because the privacy efforts will be able to be identified. Right? After all, these companies need Bitcoins to escape inflation and taxation. <laughs> that second point, I'm not so sure about. I'm not so sure about. See, the problem with holding Bitcoin, and we've been over this, but I'll just briefly recap. We talked about unrealized capital gains taxes. And the issue is, if you're using... Bitcoin to hedge against inflation, then Bitcoin's going to go up nominally, not necessarily in real terms. Now, we're still going through an adoption phase, which means that uh, Bitcoin's going to go up in real terms also. But if things even out, and if Michael Saylor gets his wish, and everyone's still using the US dollar, and the US dollar continues to inflate, and the adoption phase is over, well, the gains in Bitcoin are going to simply just be nominal. Right, especially if you have competition coming from Monero, and it's also taking market share away from Bitcoin, and you know, here's the problem: you're going to get gains that you're going to, have to pay tax on if you decide that you need to liquidate your Bitcoin to get some cash in order to pay taxes or to buy goods and services or whatever. Because maybe adoption hasn't gone enough to really make it so that you could buy stuff off Amazon. And which, by the way, if if it's not legal tender and you're using it as a currency, what you're doing is you're selling your Bitcoin for goods and services which are valued at fair market value. And so that means that you're going to have to pay tax on that Bitcoin that you sold. Like, it's not just going to be like some exchange. Like, if you buy off Amazon, say Amazon adopts Bitcoin, the adoption phase is over. If you go to buy like $500 worth of materials with your Bitcoin and you had major gains in your Bitcoin and use your Bitcoin to buy those materials, like you're going to have to pay tax as if you just sold that Bitcoin. Okay, and if it's just going up nominally in value, which means it's only going up in relation to inflation, but it's not going up in real terms, uh, you're still going to have to pay tax on that. You're going to have to pay tax on that gain, which means you're losing wealth by using Bitcoin. You're losing your wealth. And if unrealized capital gains taxes happen, well, it doesn't even matter if you spend your Bitcoin. If you just want to use it as collateral, again, to get a loan and to you know build a business or buy certain things, well, <laughs> they're going to tax it out of your wallet. And then you're going to have to sell your Bitcoin, liquidate, which is going to put a lot of pressure onto the market. 
and then that's going to make it be seen as less of a store of value, and then people are going to get out, and then people are going to go into Monero, which people are already doing because it's a better store of value than Bitcoin. It's a better accounting ledger than Bitcoin. It's more fungible, and it's private. And so if they do come out with unrealized capital gains taxes, if people want to buy stuff with Monero, they're not going to worry about the tax overhead. A lot of these people, I mean, as I always say, pay your taxes, but like, yeah, nobody's going to be able to figure out that you're using it. And so a lot of people just aren't going to pay those taxes. Uh, meanwhile, with Bitcoin, you will, which means there's more overhead. It's more clunky. It's more inefficient. And yeah, like Monero is going to be better. That's going to be seen. And so the whole store of value thing from there, it gets kind of uh, put on an effigy and combusted into flames. So Bitcoin, back to the article, has a long story of slaying heroes. And it includes A-listers like... So the point here, by the way, just to go back, taxation... If you're using Bitcoin to avoid taxation, not smart from my opinion. So blah, blah, blah. So I think this is wrapping up. So go ahead and read the rest of this article if you want. Yeah, you can donate to him if you want to. Donate to me too. I got my links below, but I don't accept Bitcoin because I don't want everyone looking up how much Monero and stuff I have, right? So... Sumo Monero, Pirate Chain, Darrow. I think this has been a valuable video. Let me guys, let me know what you guys think. And uh, yeah, my voice is getting raspy. Maybe I've got the disease and I need the stabby. No, never, never getting it. No matter how much they clamp us down. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, that's about it. I think we talked a little bit about the store of value thing, so... Ka, I think what your name was, on the comment section. I hope this answers your questions. Beware of Michael Saylor. Keep a lookout for him. I don't know if we trust him yet. I certainly don't, just because I'm not into Bitcoin. I have zero Bitcoin. Zero Bitcoin. Uh, I don't want it. It's a surveillance coin. Uh, the Lightning Network is not going to be as private as people think. Uh, I'd rather just use Monero, or I'd rather just use dollars until it collapses, right? Because, again, Gresham's Law, I'd rather just keep the good stuff. And ultimately, if I'm looking for a store of value, I like gold, I like silver, I like gold and silver mining stocks, I like buying companies which have cash flows. And yeah, a lot of these companies are going to do great, especially in the commodity sector. We talked a little bit about uranium, we talked a little bit about oil, getting exposure to those stocks I think is pretty good um, because they're the companies which for the most part keep civilization running, they keep the electrical grid on. So if you're bullish on crypto, well, it should also be bullish on the institutions and the entities which make the materials, which make it so that we could have electricity to run this stuff. So, yeah, we went through a lot of good stuff to hear here today. So I would love to hear you guys' comments on what it is we went through today. We went through a lot. Uh, I'm going to have to kind of go through this video and, you know, parse out some things. I said a bad word, I remember, at one point. I'm going to have to get that out. Dang, I hit the YouTube censorship. I hate it. Urgh. But... I hope this was informative. I hope that this enticed you to look a little bit more into Monero, into the Freedom Coin sector. Um, and if you have any questions, again, leave comments, send me an email, follow me on Gab, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Rumble and Odyssey, especially Odyssey. Uh, they're very censorship resistant over there. And so I can kind of post whatever it is I want if I make videos which are too based for YouTube, too based for these little sissies over here. Well, then I'm just going to post it over there. And so follow me over there. It's really important, really key. Follow me on Telegram too. Our Telegram has been growing. And guys, let me know if you can comment on my Telegram posts. I know for some channels you can't comment on their posts. I don't know if that's the case for mine. 
maybe y'all just aren't commenting. That's fine, but just let me know if you can comment because I don't want to make it to where if you want to comment, you can't because I do want to hear from you guys. Maybe I just have a setting that isn't working as much as I would like it to. But that is it for this video. Let me know what you guys think of Michael Saylor. Let me know what you guys think of Bitcoin versus Monero. A lot of great subjects we went through today. And remember to donate and remember to check out the Patreon. If you want to become a patron, there is a certain tier that you can get where you can ask me any question that you would like and I will make a long form video on it. And um, yeah, that would also help you help me be supported so I can keep the channel running. So it's a way that you could support the channel. I can give value back to you. And then we could keep our operations running and expanding and taking over the world to warn everybody about the trap which is coming around them in the surveillance crypto community and how awesome the Freedom Coin community is and why you should become part of our revolution instead. So that said, this has been Aaron Mateo. You guys have a wonderful day. God bless.